I said I always remember the wood grain beneath my feet in a busy street. I never said I was angry, but I think I'm still in misery. But it's what I needed, and it took me by surprise. Sometimes I think I'm bound for All right, we are here with Grant. What's happening, Grant? Not much. Just uh, watching the second half of this uh, Philadelphia-Toronto uh, playoff game right now. We have it on, too. Can't lie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night. Uh, the second half just started in the Philly game, so if something crazy happens in the fourth quarter and we miss it, um, that's on us. <laughs> but this series has been a good one so far. Uh, it's really been a battle of matchups. It's been pretty crazy um, on the floor. The the Gasol and Bede matchups been crazy. I think the Kawhi Simmons matchup's been crazy. What's been your favorite thing this series, Grant? I, I think something that's kind of um, you know undermentioned at times is uh, you know Toronto's success over the last uh, few years has been built uh, you know with a strong supporting cast play, but that's kind of been the negative for them in this series. Like uh, Fred Van Vliet, um, Norman Powell. Serge Ibaka, they've they've struggled. Um, you know they've been strong negatives, and uh, it's just kind of interesting to see you know like if Toronto can manage to overcome that, and uh, you know kind of like seeing a strength turn into a weakness is uh, is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Going into this series, you would think that that was like one of the biggest advantages, right? Philly's got like the huge names on their team, but Toronto can go like one through ten with not a huge drop off and there has been a pretty big drop off this this playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I uh you know, I remember people talking about after the the Tobias Harris trade. I know they added uh Mike Scott and uh you know they added James Ennis, but that was like most of the talk throughout the year that uh you know they really didn't have a ton of depth. So yeah, it's kinda of interesting to see how the you know kind of flips uh, you know, the script and then uh kind of see how uh Nick Nurse, uh, rookie head coach, kind of handles that all. Yeah, I, I think he's done a pretty good job. Um, there's Again, there's a ton of matchups I think that he's trying to get. Um, I think he's trying to get uh, Kawhi specifically off of uh, Simmons. Yeah. And so it, it's been really interesting to see. What yeah. about you, Ben? Um I've really liked Tirana's depth. Um, Serge Ibaka's been big in this series, just coming off the bench for Gasol. Um, Van Fleet's been great. Um, I, I really like their I like their bench depth. Um, defensively, they're not playing very well tonight, but during the series, they've in the series before they've played really good defense as far as their defensive spacing and. Uh, being able to get to different adjustments and rotations defensively, uh, not doing that tonight very well, but um, during the playoff run, they've done a pretty good job of that. Um, has has Greg Monroe earned himself a job on a team? Uh, I yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think with uh, I think he should at least as like a uh, you know how uh, Al Jefferson had that uh, third string role with the Pacers where. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. an injury, you know, came up, and then, uh, you know, he'd kind of fill in and do a solid job offensively. I feel like that's something, uh, at the very least, Greg Monroe can uh, can do at a pretty solid level. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. It, it was crazy that at one point the Pistons were like, do we keep Drummond or keep Monroe? Yeah, I was thinking about that, was... that the other day. That was, that was pretty crazy. And then uh, Josh Smith at small forward. <laughs> yeah, and I lived in Detroit at the time, and – like the general consensus was keep Monroe. Yeah. Because Monroe could play like a four and a five basically. And Monroe could, or I'm sorry, Monroe could play the four and the five and Drummond could basically only play the five. Right. And, um, wow. Dodge the bullet there. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I found super interesting, I saw it on Twitter and I, I forget who it was. So I, I don't want to take credit for this, but, uh, Kawhi's been guarded by Simmons on 48% of his possessions. He's shooting 77% when he's not guarded by Simmons, 
when he is guarded by Simmons, that drops about 30%. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Half of his possessions, Simmons is on him. And when Simmons is on him, it drops 30%. 30%. Wow. Yeah, that that just shows you how important the matchups are in these series, man. I mean, it's the way these guys think about what's going on and, and how those defense rotations get to where they are and who's guarding who. Um, it's it's really important when it gets down to it at seeing where people line up and who you got guarding who. Because Kawhi is, is a guy that can score, I mean, yeah. pretty much whenever he wants to. Um, and Simmons, I guess, with his length and, and his ability, he's able to stay in front of him a little bit better than anybody else. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah. I, I think Kawhi can hit a shot from pretty much anywhere on the floor. He's improved his scoring in the playoffs every single year, mm-hmm. literally every year for the last however many years he's been in the, the league, whatever, six or seven now. Um, yeah, this is his time. There, yeah. There's there's some players that definitely step up. You're you're seeing it with Al Horford. Yeah. Every year Al Horford steps up. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Uh, I think Durant. Oh yeah. I, yeah. And I think Kawhi is one of those as well. Yeah. But he's definitely on that level for sure. Do you think this off season we're gonna have conversations about is Kawhi a top five player? You think that's an overreaction? Um, honestly, I don't think it's a, it's an overreaction, you know, and he, uh, I think it was kind of tough to say it during the year with how many, uh, games he kind of, you know, uh, DNP rest sort of thing, uh, you know, like, cause you know, when you're comparing like, uh, you know, value and all that stuff, it's like some people will say, you know, if you don't play, you know, most of the games and, you know, you're not really providing the same value as like a, a James Harden who's like playing, you know, almost all the games and being like the major engine for, for his team. So, but I think like if you're just going like uh, ability for ability, I think you can definitely uh, at least put him at like five. It's just tough whenever you try to like, uh, you know, uh, think, all right, here's one, here's two, here's three. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, uh, okay, well, this right. is harder than I thought. But yeah, I think he's definitely in the conversation at the very least. Yeah. How much, and maybe you know this, Grant, I actually don't know the answer to this, how much is those DMPs on Kawhi and how much is on coaching? I think um, I think it's probably partly uh, both. I think it, you know, obviously with how he's performing in the playoffs, I think it was uh, I think it was the right call because, you know, as we were saying earlier about their depth, they had they have so much depth, you know, during the regular season with their uh, you know their success on the bench. There's no point in necessarily having him go full throttle for you know 82 games if he doesn't have to, and you know it's paying dividends now because you know he's got 17 points uh, pretty early in the second half, and uh, yeah, like uh, I think it's worked out very well for him. Yeah, I mean he's been that dude during the playoffs, no doubt. I mean he's. He's uh he's definitely been their their engine, but my thing has been is Kyle Lowry is still struggling in the playoffs, man. I don't I don't know what it is about playoff basketball and Kyle Lowry. Like he just does not seem to I, I don't know. He just underperforms to me, and he shouldn't underperform because he gets a lot of favorable matchups, uh, especially with Kawhi on the floor. I mean, is there a reason why that's happening? Like, why does he struggle so much? Yeah, it's honestly, uh, you know, I think if you can uh, figure that one out, then you might uh, have a job for the Raf- <laughs> with the Raptors. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, honestly, yeah, it's kind of crazy because, you know, when he doesn't play well, uh, you know, you look at, uh, okay, Kawhi Leonard's playing at a high level, and then Pascal Siakam's, like, kind of right, right up there as well. And then you need that third guy for sure, especially with the way their their bench is playing. And, you know, sometimes – Obviously not today because Danny Green's three for four, but sometimes, you know, Danny Green isn't hitting shots. Sometimes Marcus Gasol is, you know, going to give you a underwhelming performance. So, yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know. It's just it's just a weird thing that he can't, uh, you know, kind of put it together uh, like other players can. And it's, I think that's probably going to end up costing them uh, this series if he continues the way that he is because you look at Philadelphia, it's like, you know, Joel Embiid obviously setting the tone, and then you have uh, Jimmy Butler – and uh, you know Harris, and then Simmons isn't playing great. But you know when Reddick's hitting threes like he is today, then that's more than enough to set him apart. 
So here's my thing. I'm going to defend Lowry a little bit. Okay. So Lowry's box score always looks terrible. And it doesn't seem like he's really doing much when you're like watching him on offense. But they're always better with him on the floor. Like as far as like a team plus minus. Always. So, that and that's like 100% of the time. Like they're always better with him on the floor. Then on the defensive end... I know that he's small, but even when he gets switched on big guys, he still holds his own. And he doesn't get, like, bullied around. And he draws so many fouls. So many. Yeah. We noticed that tonight. He, he He's always drawing fouls on somebody. Yeah, he's always on that big butt. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's my thing with him. His, I think his impact um, doesn't really... I guess translate when I'm watching it, but it always seems to have a positive effect on the offensive end. And then on defense, I don't find him a liability. Yeah. But just, just when watching him, he doesn't pop off the screen, especially on offense. And I think that definitely creates kind of a worse image for him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you're not hitting your shots going one for seven, then, you know, that's kind of the, the thing people will, you know, really notice. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he provides a, a good amount of value doing the little things that, uh, you know, kind of go uh, underappreciated in a lot of ways, and that kind of like uh, gives him, you know, a better uh, sense of like value. I feel like than what people give him credit for. Yeah. But it's just yeah, it's kind of too bad when players do the little things like that, and then it's like you know, all we're really gonna. But, you know, be able to focus on is like, yeah, he's uh, one for seven from the field. You know, he he didn't hit twenty points again. Right. But that that's every time, man. With him. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm trying to look right now. Oh, right now he's a negative sixteen. So. He is. I, was, I was just looking at that. I'm like, I'm like, all right, yeah, he's one for seven. He's a negative sixteen. To be all fair, right. like their whole team is is negative. It's pretty bad. Yeah, today's definitely not a good day. <laughs> yeah. So, on the other side for Philly, I think the thing I've noticed the most this playoffs with Philly is Jimmy Butler is an absolute killer. Yeah. He knows when his team is in, like, real danger and when it's Jimmy Butler time, and he can step up at any given moment and hit a big shot. And this is exactly why they got him. And when we did a playoff preview, we did – What's the biggest question for each team? Mm-hmm. And I think our biggest question for Philly, if I remember, was who's going to be the guy that takes the shot at the yeah. end of the game? And it just seems like like Butler really knows when to take over. Yeah. I heard a I heard a story the other day where um, Toronto had shoot around, mm-hmm. uh, and this was in Toronto, and so the Raptors said, "No, we don't need shoot around. We're at home. We're good." And Kawhi heard that they weren't doing shoot-around. So it was Philly's turn to go out there. And Kawhi said, no, we do want shoot-around. So Kawhi went out by himself and made Philly wait. And just Philly had to just wait while Kawhi had a solo <laughs> shoot-around. Uh, I think it was Jackie McMullen that reported this, and which I trust Jackie with my life. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> no doubt. So the next day they're in, uh, they're in Philly, and it's shoot-around time. And the same thing where Philly's like, we don't want shoot around. Jimmy Butler, being an absolute troll, says, nah, I'll take shoot around. They can wait for me. <laughs> and that's just, that's who Jimmy Butler is. Uh, and that's who Joel Embiid is as well. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're both just yeah. trolls. They are. But I, I thought that was very, very funny because Jimmy Butler is the kind of guy that just wants to aggravate the other team. Oh, yeah. That's funny that that he's doing it on the court, um, <laughs> and kind of off the court as well. Yeah. So this series has been a pretty good one. I think this is going to go pretty long, to be honest. Um, I don't I don't see it ending in five or anything like that. I think we're getting six or seven. But tomorrow we get the Bucks and Celtics, and we get the Nuggets Blazers. Let's go to the Bucks and Celtics. It's not going exactly how I thought it was going to go. No, no. Um, and we didn't we didn't do a show I think since this series started. Yeah. And uh, man, 
it's just been a weird it's been a weird series. <laughs> uh, I really thought that first game that that was the chance that the Bucks had to really really come out and smack yeah. them in the mouth, and that's not what we got. They laid a turd. Right. They laid an absolute turd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, it's been a weird one. Grant, what have you been seeing in this series? Well, I think the number one thing was uh, just the great game plan in game one that Boston came out with, um, you know, really making Giannis uh, work for his uh, his shot attempts, not letting him get uh, downhill easily early in possessions and all that good stuff. And then it was pretty interesting to see, uh, you know, Giannis respond in game two a little bit better by being able to kind of impose his will. Like, uh, at times there was, you know, there were some possessions where, you know, it was like, oh yeah, they're, you know, they're walling him off again, but you know, he's just so big and athletic. It, it didn't really matter at times, you know, he got his own rebound, put it up again, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see, uh, Milwaukee also use him more as an off ball, uh, option as well and kind of combat that initial strategy that, uh, Boston has. I'm kind of interested to see how, uh, both teams, sort of come out in, uh, you know, the next installment of, you know, the chess match that they've basically been having so far. Yeah, Brad Stevens has been playing this really, really well. And Brad Stevens is also one of these guys who does better in the playoffs. I yeah. I went on this podcast, and I was kind of giving Brad Stevens some flack. You did. <laughs> and I know that's not a popular opinion, um, <laughs> and that's usually not the angle that people are taking, but... I thought there was some well-deserved flack, especially in the regular season, but he's been so good this playoffs. Like you said, Grant, they're just getting back. They're just getting back in transition. They're just not rebounding on offense. They're just they're just saying forget the offensive rebounds. They're getting back, and they're clogging the paint. Yeah. And just putting those forearms on Giannis and really, really trying to stop him there. And it's been pretty successful. Uh, like you said, the first game it was successful. The second game... We kind of just saw Giannis, Giannis them. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. There's almost no stopping it, but but it's been a really really good game plan. Clog the paint, and then take away the corner three. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are those are the bread and butters of of Milwaukee, and they're really just attacking those two. The Celtics are. So. Yeah, they've done a really good job um, of clogging up the paint. We were talking about this before the podcast, Grant. We watched uh, Detail with Kobe Bryant, and he goes over that game one and what the Celtics did to Giannis to kind of get him off track. It was pretty cool to watch because uh, some of the things that – I mean, it's just small stuff, of course. If you're not paying attention to you don't see it. But how Al Horford, you know, had his right knee and Giannis's back and was pushing him off the block and – making him take wide angles on picks. It was really cool to see how that game plan of closing down the paint and making Giannis get uncomfortable in spots. Um, it was really cool to see, you know, Kobe kind of go over that stuff. And if you're just watching it as a normal basketball guy, you're not looking at those kind of details, but it was really cool to see Kobe kind of slows it down and shows those type of things. I think that's was really cool. But in that second game, Giannis kind of imposed his will and, and, you know, did Giannis things, you know, getting to the basket, you know, making shots for his teammates. So, um, it is three point shots looking pretty decent this series. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. If he, yeah, he develops that consistently. I mean, you're, you're looking at Kevin Durant esque. I mean, he's seven foot wingspan with a jump shot. Like, yeah, you, that puts him right there. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, the whole make him make him shoot threes, and uh, he's actually hitting them uh, situation panning out. Because you know, if uh, it'd be kind of interesting to see what Milwaukee would have had to do with their strategy if he shot like zero for six. But yeah, it's, it makes it honestly, I feel like more intriguing that he's shooting, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a pretty solid percentage. Uh, so far, because you know, then uh, Boston has to think twice about what they really want to do. With uh, you know, at what point do we not pack the paint? But honestly, I think at the end of the day, even if Giannis shot extremely well from three on like you know a pretty high volume, I think uh, I think the danger of him getting downhill would uh, you know I, I'd still let him shoot. <laughs> I yeah, feel like. yeah, you can 
you can lose to Giannis making a bunch of threes. That's that's probably the best way you can lose because if that's what's if that's what's killing you and you're stopping everything else, then you know you did everything you could. Exactly. So. Yeah, it's odd that he is five for nine from three point range in the series. Yeah, I definitely didn't expect that one. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I will, I will say, I really don't like Boston's offense, like, at all. Yeah. Well, know. we talked about that before. Yeah, like, it's, sometimes it's stagnant. Yeah. It doesn't move very well, not good flow. I don't like it. I, I think the only thing that has been working is Horford, and that's it. And it seems like just go to Horford every play. Yeah. But, yeah, Kyrie Irving struggled quite a bit that last game, and I feel like that's that's a key reason as to why he did. You know, it's also kind of interesting too that like, uh, um, you know, Boston really hasn't ever had any overly um, effective offenses under uh, Brad Stevens. You know, throughout his career either. So it's, you know, it's kind of um, you know odd to see that. You know, he's really good at drawing up those uh, side out of bounds after timeout plays, but it's like. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's too much, uh, wing, wing guys who like to put the ball on the ground, uh, where, you know, they, they kind of, you know, hang out and wait for it to be their turn is maybe a key reason why that's the case. But you'd think it'd be, uh, you know, more, uh, flowing, uh, productive, um, approach. It's, it's really not though. It's really not. And I think that's kind of the thing in the league where there's no real ball movement, uh, offenses right now, or at least it's not as popular, uh, where it is a lot of ISOs and stuff like that. And there's a lot of times where Boston just won't pass it. And every time they do that, it's not successful every single time. And, and, and the, the stat that's going around right now where Jason Tatum is 95 out of 95 players that had a hundred ISO possessions. He's literally dead last. Dead last. He's averaging 0.6 points per possession on ISO, and that's just rough, man. Yeah, and, you can't and what's offense like that with that type of production? Yeah, what's bad is in that in that Kobe Bryant detail. He also says about how bad Tatum's spacing is when he doesn't have the ball. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think we're I think we're still kind of. Uh, mesmerized by Tatum's performance last year and his dunk over LeBron. Yeah. And I think that there's some pretty big flaws there. And I think that there's just really, really big expectations that I don't know if it's fair to have on him. And I don't know or think he can really live up to him right now. And he's 20 or 21, which is fine. Right. You know, you don't have to be the best player in the league at 20 or 21. Um, but I do really think he has high expectations and it's, it's, Pretty tough on him. Yeah. Um, I think everyone kind of thought he was just going to be this killer. He's going to be scoring, you know, 26 points a game this season and right. be the best player on the court all the time. And that's not who he is, and that's fine. Um, but I would just like to see, you know, Gordon Hay. <laughs> Hold on, real quick. Grant, did you just see that shot? I did, yeah. That was did cool. you? <laughs> Why is it insane? He just like jumped in the air and just threw it. it he didn't even sh- shoot it. He just threw it. And, it looked uh, like a pass. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they uh, make this uh, you know, fourth quarter pretty interesting. You know, yeah. head- heading in uh, down about eight points. Yeah. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, that's enough of uh, of Boston because we have Tim in the room and Tim. Absolutely despises Boston. He's just so. shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Boston fan. So we're going to move on to the Rockets, Tim. Tim <laughs> Tim's second least favorite team. Uh, no, I, I actually really like the Rockets, and I really like Golden State too. Um, I don't really want to talk about the refs. I really don't. Oh, I, that's I, annoying. Man, that's getting really annoying. There's How many Hall of Famers are playing in this series? Oh. oh, that's a good question, actually, yeah. Um, how, how many are on the court? On the court total? Uh, Is Iguodala a Hall of Famer? That's a tough one. I feel like with the finals MVP, he at least gets a shot. Is like one of those, uh, you know, we got to fill it out, like fill out the class sort of guys. Yeah, yeah Iguodala, maybe. Okay, 
Curry, Durant, probably Clay. Clay. Harden, Paul. Harden, Paul. Yeah. Kerr, D'Antoni. They're on the court. Yeah, true. Dray- right? Yeah. Hey, Draymond's, Draymond's getting in. Draymond's going to will his way into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, with the Draymond? defensive player. Yeah, uh, he's going to defensive accolades. Yeah. Yep. So we're looking at about eight Hall of Famers or so on the court, if you include coaches. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. I just don't. I just don't know if we should be talking about refs when when that's the case. When it's eight Hall of Famers going against each other in the NBA playoffs, it it feels weird too. So, right. Um, what I will say is, I personally, as a fan, personally, don't have an issue with Harden trying to draw fouls on threes, even if it is kind of ridiculous. Even if it is fully ridiculous, I don't have a problem with it. Because when he does it, he shoots what ninety percent from free throw line. Mm-hmm. So he's averaging 2.7 points. All right. I mean, gosh, that's yeah. that's so good. You that's know what good. I mean? That's 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 too good. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I don't know enough about landing zones and all that to really even have a hard opinion on if these fouls are are dirty or anything like that. And when I looked it up on NBA.com, there's like a short 30-second video, but it doesn't tell you what their landing zone is. It just tells you that you shouldn't land in their landing zone. Right. So I don't even know if the NBA knows. This is kind of the NBA's version of is it a catch or not. You know, it so. is. Trap gate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I do know is that Steve Kerr, I think, has been out coaching D'Antoni. That's I what I'm seeing. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, I feel like uh, with um, you know Draymond Green kind of taking away Clint Capella and starting out with the you know the death lineup right away, I feel like uh, that was a really good move and uh, kind of puts a ton of pressure on the perimeter guys. Like uh, I think it's their offense has really come down to like four players. It's like James Harden, Chris Paul, Austin Rivers, and uh, Eric Gordon. Uh, you know, obviously Eric Gordon should be fourth on the list, but yeah, I, I forgot his name, but yeah, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I, I just feel like, uh, when, when you have the length that Golden State has too, with, uh, you know, Iguodala, Thompson and Durant, and you're basically asking four players to outproduce their offensive production while beating them, uh, you know, on the other end of the floor against their length. I feel like that's, that's an ideal coaching decision by uh, Steve Kerr to be able to put that series in that position. Yeah, and one thing I'm seeing when you brought up Draymond is they are really, really crashing the offensive glass a ton, man. I I really think the focus in the name of the game right now for Golden State has been offensive rebounding. Yeah. Uh, They know that Houston's not a fast team. Houston doesn't really do the whole, like super fast get down the court transition thing they like to set it up and they like to you know spread their players out and then have an iso opportunity or um or run a pick and roll but they're not a transition team by any means so golden state says okay if they're not going to get down the court fast then we don't need to get down the court fast we can all dive for rebounds and when you have iguodala and you have draymond you have a good shot of getting the rebounds especially when clint capella is struggling well, he's struggling, and PJ Tucker returned to being PJ Tucker. But if you remember, if you remember that first series, like that first series, he was hot. I mean, he was hitting all kinds of threes, and then he came back to earth on this series. So I think that's been one of the big keys. Um, another key has been Draymond has been way more effective this series than he was in previous, even in this previous year. He got, we all we talked about him having a drop off. He wasn't playing well, shooting with the backpack. Like he he had a, he wasn't very productive. But this this series, he's done well defensively. I mean, he's pretty much wiped Capella out of the game, uh, and then offensively, yeah, he's forced I mean, Nene on the court. Yeah, I mean, Nene's getting minutes. <laughs> That's I mean, how you know it's bad. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, definitely. And then Curry's just harassing that. Curry's like, all right, I'm gonna get the switch on Nene. Yeah, and now what? Right, and that's that's a wrap. Right, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, but Draymond has been really effective. Not only that, but as a playmaker, I mean, he's kind of been getting them going. 
Durant, of course, has been doing the scoring, and Clay does his scoring, and Curry does what they do, but Draymond's kind of gotten back to being Draymond in this series. Hustling after rebounds, offensive rebounds, playing outstanding defense, diving on the floor. He's looked more effective in this series than he has all year. I agree 100%, and that's a... you know everything you just said. That, that's actually what I ironically wrote in my uh, my article for Clutch Points like uh, two hours ago. Draymond Green is finally looking like Draymond Green again. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. yeah, you know, like uh, the he dropped like twenty plus pounds. I think he said uh, over six weeks heading into the playoffs, and uh, you know, with uh, Houston looking to send ball pressure, uh, you know, on screens and all that stuff. I feel like you know his facilitation pretty much just put puts a wrap on uh, on that strategy. Yeah, yeah. The most Draymond Green box score line of all time is fourteen points, nine boards, nine assists, and more steals and blocks than personal fouls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like there you go. And, and zero for yeah. one from three. You're like, yep, that was a Draymond <laughs> yep, night. That's yep. a Draymond, no doubt. That's <laughs> yep. a Draymond. Yep, day. didn't hit a single three, and uh, was just an all-around good player. There you go. That's kind of the crazy thing is he hasn't even hit a three in the whole series, and that was all you know. People were talking about in December was like, you know, uh, if, if he's not going to be hitting shots, then they're just going to leave him, and then you know they're beatable. And uh, you know he hasn't hit three, and they're not looking too beatable. Right. Yeah. Best plus minus last game uh, out of any of the starters. Yeah. including Durant, including Curry. So I've always been a Draymond guy. I I grew up a Michigan State fan. I saw Draymond Green play uh, in East Lansing. So I've I've been fighting that battle being a Draymond fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't been easy, but um, yeah. Um, let's move on to the last series. We're going to talk about this last series real quick, and then we're going to... We're going to get a quick update because I, I know you cover a couple teams. Um, I know you cover the entire NBA, but a couple teams you're following a little closer than others, so we'll get into those. But the last series, Denver-Portland. The first game, really, really pretty basketball. Lots of ball movement. Um, pretty basketball. Mm-hmm. Second game, ugly basketball. Ugly, boy. Very ugly, man. Um. This is probably the series that I'm personally least interested in. What yeah. do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I also feel like uh, something that makes it a little less interesting, too, is that like I don't see either team that wins the series really um, you know, having much of a pathway to the NBA Finals with the other series, and the West kind of being the, you know, the winner uh, will likely go to the Finals, so it's kind of like tough to really put too much... Uh, you know, thought into it, you know, like, uh, that's true. Kind of like an imminent doom. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that, man. Um, Jokic though, I will say Jokic has, has looked like the best player on the court for pretty much the entire series. And, uh, he's really had his playoff moments. I think where he's, he's coming up as a, as a playoff guy and getting really good experience and he's being who he should be. You know, we're talking about him as a top five MVP candidate through the regular season, yeah. and he's playing like a like a top five candidate. So that's been good to see. I really like watching him with Murray, but Murray's hurt, and that really concerns me. I I think it's his thigh, but I don't know. I don't I don't know what chance they have if Murray's not closer to a hundred percent. Yeah, that'll be a that'll be a struggle for sure. Um, of course, Jokic is their playmaker and their guy, but um, Murray is a guy that does a lot of that perimeter scoring, kind of spreads their offense a little bit. So if he can't go, they're gonna they're gonna be in a bad way. Real quick, timeout. Fourth quarter, ten minutes left. Siakam's hero in the NBA is Joel Embiid. They're both from Cameroon. Siakam just <laughs> absolutely kicked him. Did you yeah, see he just Grayson Allen him? <laughs> <laughs> just kicked him. I gotta think he's getting he's getting kicked for this one. Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I, think, I think so. I think he's I think he's done. Oof. Oh, that's rough. And then we'll have the debate about refs again because uh, Joel Embiid with the elbow in the last round didn't get ejected. Oh, yeah. So be like, oh well, when it happens to him, he gets uh, you know the player ejected. 
Yeah. I do love Joel Embiid's flop, like he just got Stone Cold Stunnered or something. <laughs> like, he, he flops like he's The Rock. <laughs> a stunner. Ultimate cell job. <laughs> All right. Um, I really don't want to spend too much more time on Portland Endeavor. I, I, I'd like to yeah. get into it. So you're... You're uh you're writing for for a couple of publications right now, is that right? I am, yeah. I'm I'm doing uh you know, a Pacers uh column for the Kokomo Tribune still, but uh this summer I'm going to be uh d- writing about the Phoenix Mercury for a WNBA uh website called WNBA Insider and then uh I kind of write about whatever NBA, NFL sort of stuff that I uh that I want for uh, clutchpoints.com. Cool, man. WNBA wise, um, for any of our listeners that aren't WNBA fans, what's what's like the one minute pitch? What should they know? Who should they know? I think. What's, what's your sell? I think uh, right now it's a little tough because like a quarter of the All Stars from last year are going to be injured to start the year. So yeah. you know, like uh, you know, if you were to go in the NBA and take away a quarter of the All Stars, you know, it might be a little tough. Like no LeBron, no Durant, no Curry, you know, things like that. But you know, I think uh, I think probably my pitch would be that like uh, you know, it's a pretty interesting game. It may not be the high flying game of the NBA, but you know, I feel like uh, with you know how how much shooting is in the WNBA, and uh, you know, like it's more of like a slower uh, sort of tactical. Uh, game in that sense where it's like not so much reliant on athleticism i feel like having different types of uh you know the professional uh leagues and then you know also you know you can watch college basketball it's sort of a different game than the nba as well so it's like i just find it interesting to see like you know also with such little teams um or few teams i should say uh there's like a sort of a saturation of talent so you know it's like it takes precise roster construction uh, in the WNBA to sort of make it to the finals and, and be the champion. So I feel like, you know, it's just different. And I, I like different because, you know, the NBA sometimes you can get like, a, you know, a Golden State, you're pretty much going to know they're going to win the finals. But, like, uh, there's more parity in the WNBA, I feel like. And that's interesting to watch. Right on. How do we How do we kind of fix this and make the WNBA mainstream? I feel like this the last few years we've kind of turned um, turned the corner and we're finally accepting it. It's not a joke anymore, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's finally being respected, but I don't feel like it's really being viewed as much. Yeah. Do you have any uh, any advice for the WNBA on how you kind of get more viewership? I think uh, some of the main ways uh, you know they're starting to to improve in like uh, you know they did a TV deal with. Uh, CBS Sports that I think adds fifty percent more uh, national nationally televised games, which is pretty important. You know, you want, you need to you need to have availability of your product for people to actually view your product. So that's at least a, a step one. I feel like uh, I don't know they, they just do a lot of things as an organization, the WNBA, that make it difficult to necessarily know. You know, like. W- when I need to be feeling like I'm ready to, you know, pay attention to things in the WNBA, like the WNBA draft, they didn't really announce a set date leading up to it for a while, and they actually like try to deny the date that they had planned. Um, you know, a, a, it was really weird, like stuff like that. Like I love the NBA draft, and I, you know, I want to, you know, know when it is, obviously, and have an anticipation for it. So, like, uh, it was weird. It was just, like, a, a draft party for one of the franchises had the date. But then whenever people were like, oh, we finally know what the WNBA draft is, WNBA was like, actually, that's we're, we're not confirming that that's when the, the draft is. It's like, wait, what? Like, like things like that. Like, and, you know, like, huh. uh, websites um, as well. Like, I, I just feel like I would, I would try to, uh, you know, make sure that the product off the court is up to par with, you know, the NBA's approach on the like off the court as well like i just feel like they kind of struggle sometimes with those sort of uh you know non-basketball things that make it more difficult yeah something i would like to see and i don't know how this all works with with timing and everything like that but if i was going to an nba game and it was an eight o'clock game i would love if there was a WNBA game that started at six yeah that's a that's a solid idea if i know i'm going 
and there's already going to be basketball fans there. You buy tickets, and, uh, you know, I, I hate to kind of put them in, like, a pre-show kind of kind of uh, bubble or anything like that. But, I mean, you could just get fans there in front of them and, and stuff like that. And um, I think it could be enjoyable. Like you said, it's it's a lot of shooting and stuff like that. You know, all these kids that grow up loving Steph Curry and everything like that, I mean... I don't see why the kids wouldn't love it, you know what I mean? And and adults too, of course. But just getting more eyes on it, you know, it, it gets pretty tough to to kind of just make a conscious decision to just go to a WNBA game, you know, because, right. um, you know, I, I think it's just tougher to get someone to go to just that rather than kind of make it an addition onto something they're already interested in. So yeah. that would be my, uh, my quick fix, but... Uh, I don't know how all that works where, you know, if it's an 8 o'clock game, does the game start at 6? Do you even have enough people to show up at 6 if you get out of work at 5, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. but I've always thought that was a that was a easy way, you know, without knowing any of the logistics of it, just to kind of get more eyes on it. Yeah. I think that might be the only way you really can do it in a lot of cities if you were to not have them play during the summertime too with the NHL being in a lot of markets as well so that you know kind of they're kind of stuck with uh their season length I feel like uh being you know uh, whenever hockey and basketball is not on because of that yeah yeah I would just think uh, yeah just do it when you have the other games that's, I agree that's what I would like to see I don't know I think that would be a lot of a, a big draw for them uh just on the simple fact of it's about family entertainment. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm able to buy a you ticket. You have kids. And, yeah. You have kids. Like, if I'm able to buy a ticket and go see, well, I would love to see Brianna Stewart if she didn't, you know, hurt herself. But, you know, I, you know, if I can go see Brianna Stewart and Kevin Durant the same night. Are you kidding me? I, I, I'm all in. Right. Like, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. All right, I got one more. You guys, you guys accepted my idea, so I'm gonna shoot another one. All right, <laughs> this isn't WBA. This is this is NBA. Okay, so every other league has like a division title or division champ, right? Mm-hmm. But the NBA doesn't. When you think in baseball, they you know if you win your division, you go to the playoffs. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Football, you win your division, you go to the playoffs. Basketball, you win your division, doesn't even matter. Right. So, you do it like college basketball, and you have like a divisional week where you have a tournament. Okay. So I'm a I'm a Pistons fan. You guys are Pacers fans. So let's take the Central. Okay. For example, you know every you rotate it where it's at every five years. First year in Detroit. Next year it's in Indiana. Next year it's in Milwaukee. Blah blah blah. And you just do a round robin, and every team plays every team, and then best record advance, yeah, advances, and uh, you crown kind of a division champ. But you could do multiple games, just like college basketball, right. where you do like the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight. You could do multiple games back to back. Oh yeah! Right? Oh yeah! You you'd have to shorten your NBA season to like sixty games. Though. No, you just you know, do it in place of the games. You're okay, gonna play so the games you, anyways. Do it around the All Star break, and then just play it out. Just play it out. It's just a weekend. Oh, there's not many teams in it. Right. Okay. I like that's it. my that's my that's my pitch. Um, I just think they need something to really shake it up in the middle of the season, and I don't think the All Star break does it. Yeah. Yeah, the All Star break's kind of gotten uh, pretty uh, boring uh, to a lot of people. I feel like. Yeah, and the and the players don't care. No. Yeah, they pretty much go through the motions during the All Star game. Yeah, I don't know. I would again. I would pay for a ticket if yeah. if it's a central, and I know I can see Giannis and whoever um, the Bulls draft. Yeah. Maybe see Blake Griffin. Maybe see Victor Oladipo yeah. and all that stuff and. Maybe you kind of spark some rivalries within your division. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I think it'd be a fun little idea. Again, logistically, I don't know, but you guys liked my first idea, so I thought, while well, I'm here, <laughs> I'm I think Adam Silver actually talked about, uh, you know, looking into some sort of uh, mid-season tournament. So you may uh, may have a, I don't know if it's about divisions or whatever, 
Uh, yeah. You know, it may be in his mind, but yeah, I think that's a it's a pretty solid idea for sure. Well, get, I, get your I love it. Get your trademark on it now. I love <laughs> it when they do it in college, man. Yeah. I love oh, yeah, the, the, a- Big like, the Big Ten tournament or something like ACC that. ACC tournament, yeah. That's great stuff. Yeah. So I think you just do a a Big Ten tournament, but for each division or whatever, and they're probably gonna fix it in about five years for how how the divisions are or whatever. Right. But I don't know. That's my idea. I like that. Grant, what are you working on right now? Um, right now I'm working on a, a good amount of uh, Pacers offseason stuff. You know, uh, oh, I was just uh, a man after my own heart. Yeah, definitely. I got I got done with the um, you know a column for the Cooking with Tribune about uh, you know kind of how Kevin Pritchard uh, was talking about how they have 42 million in cap space. And I was just, you know, kind of highlighting the fact that, uh, you know, it's going to be tough to get free agents. And it's really important that they do because they kind of built up the summer of 2019 uh, since last summer. And, uh, you know, it'll just be interesting to see how it all plays out for them because not a lot of guys typically go to Indiana. But, you know, that's kind of been their their strategy is, you know, it'll all all work out in uh, summer 2019. So you're the GM for the Pacers. What's your moves this off season? I think I think probably um, if I know for a fact that I'm not going to be in the running for guys like Kemba Walker and you know uh, Chris Middleton and players like that, like I don't know if, if for a fact if they will or not. But if I if I found out that it's just not plausible, I'd probably try to target some uh, you know um, under contract guys in uh, in trades. Like, uh, if I knew I couldn't really overpay to keep Bogdanovich because of the offers, I'd probably target guys like, uh, you know, TJ Warren that are under contract, kind of a similar, uh, you know, scoring, not overly great passing profile as my mm-hmm. small forward. You know, as long as they can shoot, you know, you can't have too high standards with the wing spot. But, um, you know, <laughs> you know, if you're not, not able to get, like, the, the superstar guys and then, you know, you uh, – you're kind of recovering from losing a guy, you know. I think Warren's a pretty solid option with his contract. Um, and then, uh, you know, for the point guard spot, you definitely have to have someone that can get downhill and pass. And, um, you know, I, I'd probably start looking into, uh, if I was just looking at trade options, I'd probably look into a guy like Jeff Teague, depending on what uh, Minnesota is going to do with Derrick Rose in the off season. you know, if they really want to value him, because I know, um, you know, he sells a lot of jerseys. Like I was like in three Minnesota games in different cities this year, and it was like like Derrick Rose was by far the most popular guy for uh, you know jerseys that I saw from mm. Minnesota. So you know I feel like I feel like keeping him will probably I, I don't know like I feel like it could be a priority for them. And uh, Jeff Teague's on the hook for like nineteen million. So and it's expiring deal like during this upcoming season. So I feel like that you know with his passing and ability to get to the basket i feel like in familiarity with miles turner as well i feel like that could be a, a good idea so with oladipo being hurt are you kind of punting on this next season i feel like that would be that would be pretty smart because they haven't really had much opportunity to play their young players and let them play through their mistakes and uh you know at a I think a different version of that problem has been Miles Turner not getting, uh, you know, substantially more offensive involvement, uh, you know, really during any of uh, the seasons that he's played since his rookie season. He's kind of kept around that similar usage. His role has kind of never been all that consistent. They sometimes utilize certain components and then neglect others and then vice versa. So I feel like I'd probably use it as a player, you know, player development year and recovery year for Oladipo. You know, when he gets back on the floor, who knows how good he'll be. He may be more closer to Hayward, um, you know, in terms of needing time to recover. So, you know, it may not even make much sense to really put together, you know, like that, like what I was just talking about. Like, you know, let's say you trade for like a Teague and a Warren and then all that stuff. You know, that's great and all, but um, that basically positions you to probably finish similar uh, like uh, you know, like Miami or Detroit did this year, where it's like you know, if you make it, it's an eight seed, and you're gonna get probably smashed in the first round. So I don't know. It's probably better to look towards the future and not. I wouldn't say tank necessarily, like because there's you know, like there's not. It's not like it's Zion next year in the draft or anything. But um, I would at least just let my young players take me as far as they're capable of, and if that's a great pick, then so be it. But you know, I think just player development is probably the key. 
Right, because it could turn out like the Clippers this past year. I mean, the Clippers, you know, kind of traded people away, went with some of the young guys. I mean, outside of, um, who's their six? Lou Williams, outside of Lou. Um, I mean, outside of that, they, they went young, and, and they actually you know, wound up having a great season and putting themselves in a, a good position for next year. So, I agree 100%. I feel like um... – you know, as long as you're not investing too much by like sacrificing draft capital for this next season in trades, I feel like you know you can you can probably justify doing so, you know some acquisitions for veterans uh, that at least make the game easier for your young players. Like uh, like I don't know, like it kind of gets tough because you need a facilitator probably for you know like a Turner, a Leaf, guys like that. But if you get that facilitator at the point guard spot then you're taking away, you know, the opportunity for heavy minutes from for Aaron Holiday, who they really adore there. And that unless you're willing to play him more at the two at times as well. But, you know, kinda you know, you get into a lot of little things, but you know, it'll, be, it'll just be interesting to see what they do, basically, I feel like. I agree. Yeah, um I could see like uh like how the Spurs had had some good years, they had an injury. Yeah, they they had a bad season. Got what Tim Duncan as their draft right. pick, <laughs> and then got healthy again, loaded back up. I I know it's different, but I think this is one of the situations where I don't think the team is in a bad spot. Yeah. I just think next year, as that's one bad. as one specific year, is in a bad spot. So. Well, that's a good point, too, with the Spurs, because the Spurs are almost a similar market. I mean, they're not a big-time market. They're not, you know, they're not uh, in a in a prime location. People don't say, you know what, I want to move to San Antonio. You know, it's not something where it's a prime destination. So it's a, that's, that's a really good connection between them and, and Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Grant, I think we're going to wrap it up, my man. Appreciate you coming on. I'd like to give you a chance to kind of plug yourself. Uh, I know we're going to be talking to you again soon. We have, uh, you know, we know, I know we got season previews coming up. Absolutely. So I know we'll be chatting with you soon, but just let us know where uh, where everyone can find you. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm i going to basically, you know, we were saying earlier, you know, I'll be uh, doing my Pacers column weekly on the Kokomo Tribune. I don't know how frequent it will be. Um during the off season, but I think a lot of my activity will be on clutch points, doing all kinds of uh, NBA analysis uh, sort of topics. Like uh, I put a few out uh, during the playoffs that are like you know adjustments uh, Toronto can make after game two, things like that. Yeah, I've I've had the opportunity to read a couple of those, man. You've done a great job. Uh, just your detail um, and what you write and. and uh how you put it almost kind of in layman's terms so people that don't follow a whole lot of basketball can read and understand it uh they're great articles if you guys get a chance man check them out i appreciate that a lot thanks yeah man and your twitter handle for everyone oh yeah it's uh grant and then my last name a f s e t h right on appreciate you grant and uh we'll be chatting with you soon man absolutely always a pleasure grant yeah, thanks for having me thanks man see you buddy